Welcome, welcome everybody. This is Michelle Hayward here and today you are in for another great treat. I have Shahara Wooten here with me today. She's a certified financial planner and in a previous life, she was an engineer. So she my type of people. We nerd a lot, right? She's still dealing with the numbers. But today is really special because she is going to be talking about or we're going to be having a conversation about the racial wealth gap. And it's really important as we're in a transition here, not only in the U.S., but globally, talking about economics. And we're seeing in different types of inflation here in the U.S. Different things are going on economically. But when you look at the racial wealth gap, it has been built in in so many levels. And how do we deal with that? So I'm so happy to have you here. Can you share with everyone a bit about yourself. I already told them you used to be an engineer, which you know I, right. I, I'm excited about, but yes. what are you excited to share with everybody? Absolutely. Well, first of all, I just want to thank you, Michelle. It's been so good to see you here and um, thank you for having me on your platform. Um, and I'm really excited right now to talk about our conversation, what we're talking about, the racial wealth gap. Um, like Michelle said, I am an engineer by training. Um, electrical and computer engineer uh, is where I, I got my degree from the Ohio State University. And um, and it's funny because uh, I noticed Michelle, she really stuck out to me when I noticed that we used to work at the same company years ago. I don't think we worked there at the same time, but we we have worked at the same company. And that's not the nice thing. LinkedIn will, will do that. You guys share a company. And so um, so from that point forward, we connected. And um, I focus mainly on STEM professionals, women professionals. Uh, I think I was just drawn to women and STEM professionals just because of my background. And um, it seems that, you know, obviously there's still a lot of work to be done. A lot of people come from backgrounds where they might be the first uh, that to graduate and to, you know, make the kind of income they're making. and you know, and just need that kind of assistance and help. And I just, the reason why I got into this and changed careers was I looked at, you know, 25 year old Shahara. And when I was 25 years old, I was um, an engineer uh, working in Philadelphia. And I remember going to an Urban League Young Professionals event and there was uh, a financial empowerment meeting. And at that meeting, there were insurance agents, there were financial advisors. I had never really seen that before. Uh, and I was just curious. Um, and I knew that in my mind, like there were things I wanted to do, you know, with my money. Um, so immediately when I saw this bank and I saw this financial advisor behind the table, I said, you know what, I'm gonna go up to him and I'm gonna tell him I'm interested in doing this. And I said, I want to retire by 30. I was 25, mind you. So <laughs> I was 25. I knew five years was short. And I also thought 30 was old. So <laughs> I know much better now, uh, you know, deep down inside, 30 was never old. But in my head at 25, it just seemed like, you know, yeah, 30 is a good number. But the person just really didn't help me. So there's a whole long story behind that. But that really whet my appetite to really take control of my own financial narrative. And I learned and um, got information and then finally just decided I wanted to change careers and start helping people as well. So I always think about that 25 year old Shahara and want to help others like that in that way. I, I love it. So yeah. often it's those types of experiences 
that draw us to really make impact and change in others' lives. So I, I love that story. Like I came here, I'm gonna get it like five years. Like, yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> at, at least they didn't say go play the lottery, I guess. Exactly, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, well, we just never even opened an account to even start at, you know, even a hundred bucks a month. It was really strange. So so now I just know, I know that either he was incompetent or he just didn't want to help me. Um, but I'm here in a position to be able to help somebody. If they do come to me at 25, I want to retire by 30 because, you know, that's ancient. I can help us, you know, understand what the goals are and understand how to make it realistic for them. Um, I'm not going to discourage them, but we're going to see what we can do, you know, so. And I can help them now. <laughs> absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. Okay. Yeah. so. We aren't getting the help we need, right? There. So, so let's get into the conversation, racial wealth gap, and we're we're focused specifically right now. Let's say on Black communities, Black Americans. Mm-hmm. What are we looking at in comparison of the baseline of White Americans to Black Americans when we're talking about wealth? Yeah, great question. So. Uh, In 2016, there was a study and the numbers have updated, but they're still, they still have the same impact. Um, Basically, black wealth uh, in 2016 averaged around $17,000. And then white wealth or white family's wealth, uh, black family, white family was $171,000. So, I mean, that is a huge difference. And it just was really this hearing those numbers. It's just like, what, what is going on? Why is this happening? And, you know, just the, and then just being in working with people, working with all types of cultures and backgrounds and ages, I, I started to see that there is a trend there. There is a trend. And it's not that everybody in the black community is at 17,000 and not everybody in the white community is at 171, but the fact that that is on average the you know the baseline um i really started to look at what are some of the factors and there's also prosperity now it, they did a white paper it's an organization and they did a white paper that said black wealth is a there's a wealth gap of 228 years between black families and white families they also stated that by 2053 black wealth is predicted to go to zero. So 17,000 is horrible. 171 may not even be what you're looking for. You may think that's not even good, you know, but zero. So that really, really uh, made me feel like, like, what is there to do? What can we do? And obviously there's a lot of factors, you know, there's redlining, you know, I mean, we can go back to enslavement and it's amazing that many of my people, I'm a, I'm a descendant of American slaves. And um, it's amazing that I'm here, you know, and have been able to do things without having uh, necessarily the support, the economic support of of other cultures. Um, But that, you know, but in the meantime, and that's why I wrote my book, it's called In the Meantime, you know, we have all this, these other exterior forces that have caused that racial wealth gap. But my, my goal is that in the meantime, until reparations are taken care of, until economic justice is served, what can we do to make sure that we own our own financial narrative? And what can we do to, in our personal, our families, to build wealth 
and to um, make sure that we're making, creating a legacy for generations to come until we, until we get, you know, the justice we, you know, we deserve. So in the meantime, I love that in the meantime, you know, what, what is it? So what does it look like in the meantime? What are some things we should be doing? Um, yes. And we can talk about reparations, but I want to talk about in the meantime, um, because we've done so much in the four generations post enslavement. Mm-hmm. And what does that look like four or five generations? And what, what have we done as far as accumulating? And a lot of people don't realize how much we have done walking away with nothing, right? Sharecropping, dying of hunger and and different things like that, that having to overcome after um, centuries of enslavement to even be at this wealth gap and still have so many, another 10 generations to try to catch up and and just isn't even mathematically. So what are we doing in the meantime to kind of close, to try to close that gap? Yes. So my, my goal in my book, I, um, it's called in the meantime, I think I might've mentioned and own your financial narrative. So, um, I do talk about the history so that people can understand and have a vantage point of, you know, why things are going the way they are. Maybe why things may seem a little difficult, you know, sometimes, but, um, what I, how I start off is I talk about building, um, in my intro, I talk about Black Wall Street. So I get into that because I really, I think they're a great model of what it was like um, to be able to just build wealth. Like they were just such a model. They had stores, they had, um, they had uh, hotels, they had schools, um, all those things, all that creativity that we have. Um, we can use that to help build wealth and to build the community. And they they use, they really utilize the power of community. So I really highlight that. But there were four, there are four sections, um, one called build, live, save, and give. So my build section, I talk about net worth. I talk about values. So what are your values? Deep down inside, you know, do you value independence? Do you value leaving in a legacy? Do you value um Uh, accountability, security. If these are the things you value, then we need to make sure that we have some of those basic foundational things like an emergency fund. Um, If you want to leave a legacy, I talk about how we need to make sure that we have an estate plan, that we have a way to pass on wealth, that we're creating that way to do that. So whether it's insurance, um, all those things that may seem like the you know, they're more uh, the pill, so to speak, but you got to get back to the your values. And so that is the first chapter where we're talking about what are your values? What's your mindset around money? What does money mean to you? So um, I'm a big proponent, you know, obviously we both are in this, we came from scientific fields and backgrounds, um, but the net worth equation, we got to know that equation, you know, net worth equals assets minus liabilities. So are we measuring our net worth? How are we doing that? And if you have liabilities and they're more than your net worth, your assets, then that's a negative number. Focus though on eliminating those liabilities, which are the debts and things like that, so that you can increase that net worth. So so that's where they're coming with that wealth number. They're using the net worth equation. And we have to start to think, okay, how many assets do I have? List all that out. How many, you know, liabilities do I have? 
if I have a positive asset situation, how do I continue to increase my assets and grow those? You know, and then what what do I do even with cash flow? So the beauty is we're bringing in good cash flow, especially STEM professionals. Um, you're bringing in great cash flow. Money's coming in. Money is going out. That's what cash flow is all about. But how are you controlling the money coming in? Do you feel like, oh my gosh, I don't know where the money's going. Um, I make all this money. Do I know where it's going? So, you know, so I put some strategies in there, like, you know, bucketing things out, um, you know, making sure that, you know, okay, these are the expenses that I'm going to make sure are covered for my savings, for my um, investments, for my utilities, all those things that are um, considered your, I must take care of, you know, put that in that bucket. And then you have your lifestyle, your fun bucket, like your groceries, put that money in a different bucket, you know, the gifts and things like that. And so I'm big on um, some of those practical tips because, and, and that um, accountability, because sometimes when I started, when I was 25, I didn't know everything about how this all worked. You know, I knew to sock away on my 401k and that's what I was doing. But um, but I didn't know about an emergency fund. You know, I didn't know that I needed to fall back on something like that. And depending on who's in the audience, you probably already knew about that. Um, but some of us don't. You know, I, I remember one lady told me that she had um, graduated from college, had a great job working at a nice um, chemical uh engineering firm. But because she didn't realize that she had the money to buy furniture, she went ahead and just did like the rent a room furniture and then got herself in a situation that she didn't even need to be in, you know? Um, so she furnished her whole house, but she ended up um, having, having to uh, have that dock against her credit and, you know, because she leased it when she could have actually bought the furniture. So there's things that, you know, that, that happened because we just, we just don't know. Absolutely. I, I want to go back to the emergency fund. Yeah. Before that, you know, we think about maybe our grandparents having a rainy day fund or grandma keeping, always socking a little, a dime or a nickel away um, for when something happened. And when something happened, where did the money come from? Sometimes yes. your grandma, like, here you go, this should cover it. I'm like, grandma, you, you get this from baking pound cakes and, and yeah. but it, it was very interesting how um, a lot of generations prior to us understood and came from hardship. And we talk about that in certain ways about generations. The mm -hmm. harder it is, the way you set up to be prepared for adversity and because you've you've been through so much, so many adverse things, and yes. like kids today have it easy, and they yes. do because they have less types of adversity that we've encountered. And I think we have to go back sometime and teach them the reason why we did this is so that when you encounter this, and so you don't see it because we we've already built that barrier. And so I like the way you say we call it a rainy day fund, but our grandparents had that in some way. Yes. They knew how to go about and get get it. And what we do today is pull out a credit card. It's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. Yes. And they, you know, they would take the time to build up. So if they wanted something, they would build up to get it, you know. And um, one of the things that I'm big on, a big proponent of is not so much just building up and saving up only but bringing in other income streams. But when you think about it, when you look at grandma and granddad and, and all of that, 
they were working multiple, you know, income stream. They had that. But the thing that, you know, I think this conversation does is it highlights the lack of conversation, right? We don't talk right. about money enough. Um, so so our grandparents, our, our great-grandparents um, may have done all these things, but they, they may not have thought to, you know what, I'm going to sit her down and talk to her about this and how I'm doing this because we didn't, they didn't talk about money. Yes. And then did they even have time with all the stuff going on? You know, they had to make sure the house was taken care of, the bills were paid, go to work. Um, so they may not have just, they just, you know, just watch me and figure it out just like I figured it out. Um, but what we're trying to do is we're trying to have more conversations about money and make it more of an open discussion and not just something under the rug, you know? So exactly. Yeah. So. I, and, and I guess, uh, for my family specifically, I'm, I'm the, I, I call myself the favorite aunties and my nieces and nephews, like we can't have a favorite auntie. But if we do, it's not you. So don't listen to them. I'm the favorite auntie. But anyway, <laughs> so some things I've done, especially I have an older nephew, oldest nephew is 29 and I'm just 30. So, you know, that one year. Right. Day. I'm like, wow, that is amazing. <laughs> Your mom. <laughs> <laughs> so what I did for him was teach him finances and buy him certain books. And I remember texting him a year or two ago. He's like, yeah, I need to go back and do my budget again. And go back. Nice. When was the last time you did? It's like about six months ago. But that's when we had a. I had a different roommate, and I had a different job, so I'm making more money now. And 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 he's an actor, so he has a day job. And okay. so, what, so if he's taking voice lessons, he had to get headshots and stuff like that. He needs to know where his money is. And yes. so we we always he he knows now to keep up with that. But that was me starting with him at 18 or even earlier talking about money. With yes. my younger nieces, my younger nephew and his sister are very different. She will spend it all. Like, there is no <laughs> tomorrow. He on yeah. the other hand is like, okay, this is $30. I need 85 to get X, Y, or Z. Mom, what can I do around the house to make more money? Yes, I love it. And, and so, so yeah. it's really interesting. They're like, y'all raised by this. Like, how? And so you don't know what the outside influences are. But one really gets the impact of the dollar and saving yeah. and, and, and waiting to the gratification. The other's like, shit, yeah. you're burning a hole in my pocket. Right, right. I got to get this money out. Yeah. And it's so interesting how everybody has these different mindsets, these different stories around money. And I, I do talk about that, too, because there is a place for spending. There's a place for saving. I've done I've talked to so many people and um and they're like me. I'm I'm one of those that I don't want to. I'm a good. I love saving where I don't want to spend. But then I know that there's a balance, you know, because I do like new things. I like certain things, and so I gotta make sure that I know that it's okay to spend. And that's some of the things that um, that I talk about too. But then you also gotta know uh, there's the other side. You, you got to make sure you're saving, and you just it's really about putting systems in place. It's about putting a system in place to, to save and it's about putting a system in place to spend and know that it's okay. Um, because I know people and, I, and I've been one of those people who feels like, is it all right for me to spend this? Um, so for y'all, for you guys out there, because we always, you know, rag on the save on the spenders, but there's those of us 
who don't like to spend. And yeah, exactly. And then you're like, was that okay? Was I, you know, is that okay for me to spend? Is it going to come again? And so what is, what is that mindset like that is causing you to think if I spend this, will there be anything left? Or, you know, am I being too frivolous? Am I being irresponsible? There's, there's both sides of the coin and it's okay. You know, so you just got to find that harmony between the two. Absolutely. I I agree. And it's funny, my parents, my parents perspective, my mom always just said, your, your dad always thought I was spending money and shopping frivolously. She's like, it was five kids. Y'all were always growing. (laughs) (laughs) Like you can't wear the same thing you wore three months ago. You you went to eight, you know, 12 months to 15 months. It's like, whatever. Absolutely. And and then um, on the other side, my dad, like, didn't didn't like spending anything like if he could drive a car for 50 years he's gonna drive that car for 50 years it didn't matter what floorboard and it was like the flintstone and so they had very different dynamics of how to look at finances um and so it's really interesting growing up where my mom liked nice things but she paid cash my dad liked nice things but he wasn't gonna buy them He'd rather somebody buy it for him. Maybe did he like people to buy it for him? No, he, no, he didn't want that. No, wow. Like, like my dad was the person. He wore a uniform to work. He wore a yeah. uniform on his days off. He he already paid. Wow. He kept he life was, simple. <laughs> it's like your dad's always working. Like no, he's always wearing a uniform. <laughs> that is a good one. So. I love those stories. I love those stories, and that's the kind of thing that I did within the book because. You can't really, I, I didn't want to just do a um, basic, like, okay, these are all the things you have to do. I do and sprinkle that in, but there's amazing stories in there of people who have overcome, people who are, you know, like one lady, Antoinette Monroe, she uh, pretty much bootstrapped her, uh, her becoming a real estate investor. And, um, you know, and so it's just interesting hearing how people do it and, you know, and how they actually make things happen. Uh, she grew up poor, but then she always loved real estate and just, you know, decided I'm going to do this. And then I had a, a man who used to work at Dow Chemical Engineer, and he just decided at 30, I want to retire, you know, at 40. And he went ahead and, and, and found, he found his people, you know, he found the right people, you know, and so he got his tax advisor, his financial planner, all of them helped him. He did multiple businesses. And then when 40 came around, he didn't want to leave work. He enjoyed it so much. So he had all these multiple streams of income, but what it gave him, and that's the question to ask everybody is what does financial freedom mean to you? Because what it gave him was his ability to define what financial freedom meant to him. And what it meant to him, he realized when he got to 40, he didn't want to retire. He didn't want to leave uh, his job. But he realized that it afforded him the the opportunity, the choice to leave if he wanted to. So he had those different streams of income coming in. Um, and when it when it came around, he was about 48. Uh, the company he worked for decided to lay do layoffs or you had to move somewhere. And he didn't want to pick up his family and move somewhere. So he just said, OK, well, this is my time. This is my time to stop doing this and do something else. And he was able to still provide for his family and keep the lifestyle that they had been used to um, without having to uh, pick it up because he didn't want to and move. So 
So what is, you know, what is your definition of financial freedom? That's a question to ask. What, you know, what is enough money for you? Um, and how are you progressing forward to make that happen? So I, I you know, it's so many um, different things that we do with our money and, and ways that we look at our money, but it's not always just about money. It, it's about the choices that you can give yourself. I, I love that. I can say when you're debt free and you walk into work, you have a different type of swagger. Yes. You talk a different kind of way. Yes. You have money in the bank and you're not waiting for payday to hit. Yes. It is It is a different way you carry yourself. You're like, you, you know how you have the little mimes to say, how do I yes. say this in a professional way? Like, not professional today. So it is, it is completely different. So I just want to keep that out. Yes. It, it keeps you hyped. It you, does. Still be, you can still be humble, but it, it, it is, trust me, it is a different way. Yes, it is. <laughs> Debt free and then and then having a good, a positive net worth, you know, having all these assets. I think that is so powerful, you know, to feel that way. Oh my goodness. It is, it is a blessing to, to have that. And that's, that's what we want to get to, you know, we can still um, own our own financial narrative, you know, in the meantime, we can still um, work through this. And there is a, there's another statistic I'm going to provide right now too, because um, spending in the black community, as, as you guys have talk, heard of, there's just not a lot of circulation, right. Within the black community. Um, the, we have a $1 trillion, over $1 trillion in spending power. Um, one of the things that I say is that if we could take $1 trillion in spending power and I got this from another certified financial planner. He was actually the first black certified financial planner, uh, LeCount Davis. And um, he said that if we could take that spending power and move it into investing power, what, how amazing would that be? You know, how can we balance that out, you know, and, and do those kind of things where we can just start to um, understand that community, increase our net worth, grow and just be free, just be exactly. free. <laughs> I, I, I'm glad you brought that up. Being in tech startup space, and there's always the conversations about the percentage or lack thereof of venture capital investment in yeah. Black and Hispanic founders. One of the reasons for crowdfunding tech companies pre-IPO of mm -hmm. early stage is because then you put $250, $1,000. Um, hopefully you can afford to lose it because, you know, but it gives the opportunity of, of growing wealth in a different way um, yes. at smaller weight, at smaller intervals, so that $1 trillion of buying power. And, and, and people, if we change even 10% of that to investment power, right? Yes. It really does change the trajectory of where we are. And we talked about how like places like um, Greenwood, Black Wall Street are no longer there. But in a virtual space, they still do exist. And yeah. so we're able to take those same Black dollars, right, and invest them in businesses that support us, that are making change for us, or they're not. They're doing things on a global level, or they're just straight mm -hmm. technology. They impact, positively impact the lives of everyone. Yeah. We then are able to circulate dollars in a different way. And so while I love to be able to circulate it in a small town, where are we virtually and we can still circulate that 
one trillion dollars. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's so many ways out. And, and it's funny because I, I, I'm a foodie, right? But, and it's funny, I'm a foodie um, that can't eat all that food. <laughs> so, uh, so I watch a particular channel on YouTube, a guy named JL Jupiter. I don't know if anybody's heard of him, but he goes around Philly and uh, Delaware and New Jersey. And it's just an example I'm going to share about how he's able to make that kind of impact where you are using your spending power, using your influence to be able to help others. And um, he'll just go and try different places. And because of his following, he's been able to promote these businesses and mostly small businesses. But because of that area, it's mostly black owned businesses, but there's white owned small businesses, Latino, Mexican. I mean, there's so many um, Cambodian, uh, Vietnamese. So he has this whole um, it's, it's just really cool to watch um, how what he's doing. And, and there's a story that's recently come out where there was a a business, um, a, a restaurant, and he stopped by a couple years ago. They were struggling and they had $500 is what they were making. They were struggling practically a day. After he went and shared that business with the rest of his community, he, they now bring in about $2,000, you know, um, $2,000 a month uh, or a day. So things like that, how can we uplift others you know, just by uh, using our circle, our networks. I mean, it, it doesn't take a lot to share someone's post. It doesn't take a lot, you know, any money at all to, to comment and, and just get people out there. So I just, you know, I think that there's so many ways that we can do this, um, whether it's in the tech space and, and supporting the venture capital type space or just doing it within our own communities. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Now I'm, I'm sharing a link. Do you want to tell people yes, what yes. the link is for? Absolutely. So when you go on that link, um, I am actually, uh, I have a book out. So that we're talk, that's what we're talking about. That's the context. It's called In the Meantime. I'm super excited. It published in August here. Um, and in that link, there is an Amazon. In this link, there's an Amazon link where you can buy the paperback if you want to buy a signed copy. Um, but, and you can buy the Kindle. So when you click on the Amazon, but it's on Barnes and Noble, it's also on, um, what other, uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million. Uh, so if you have, you know, your preferences there, there, it's on a lot of different sites. Um, and on top of that, I'm also starting a money mastermind. So we've talked about the power of community. And I think that that is really important to, um, expand upon that. So I know that there's uh, all of us, it's going to take many people to make this happen and to um, make sure that 2053 Black Wealth does not go to zero. I'm just doing my part. So if you want to, if you're interested in joining my next Money Mastermind or learning more about it, feel free to click on the, the link that says the Confident Money Method and we can talk and you can learn more about it. And so um, that, that those are the two links in there that I would say are the most important to this conversation. Uh, yourstoryfinancial.com slash links.html. <laughs> I love it. So yes. changing what the racial wealth gap takes a group effort. And so I love what you said about there, but definitely go and check out the book. I, I personally want a signed copy because, you know. Yes. Um, <laughs> I know some people love that sign copy. My next, my next uh, 
thing is I'm working on the hardcover. So there's people who just love hardcovers and then I'll be doing an audio book too. So um, the, the hardcover should be out before the year is out, but then the, um, the, the audio will be out next year. So for those of you who like your audio books, check that out. Uh, that'll come too. Yeah. I, I might listen to an audio book or two while I'm out walking. So I'm, yes, <laughs> I, I like all the things. Don't yes, <laughs> I love it. Yes, yes. So, um, any final words? Anything else you want them to connect with you on social so they'll know where to find you? Yes, I am most active. I know we're on LinkedIn, so you can definitely um, connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, it's LinkedIn.com/slash IN/slash Shahara. Um, I tried to keep it a little simple with the Shahara just rather than doing all the other stuff. But then Instagram, that's my other spot. Um, Money and Moves is my Instagram handle. So uh, please follow me at those places. And then, like I said, we'll be starting the next Money Mastermind here, the next cohort on November the 16th. And um, I will need to have everybody in and matriculated uh, in by November 7th, just to make sure, November 7th or the 9th, um, just to make sure we're getting everybody in. And uh, so if you're interested, jump on that call and we can talk to see if that's a good fit. But those are the things I want to leave and just want everybody to understand that it's important to own our own narrative. It's important to just take the time. Don't take a blind eye. You know, if you've been not wanting to deal with your finances. This is the time. This is a great time of year as we move into 2022 to just get things right, you know, get things set up. So whether it is um, you're already, you've already gone past debt, you know, you're, you're debt free. That's awesome. Um, maybe you need to build an emergency fund. Maybe you're, you need to focus on investing. You're saving so much, but you don't know where to, where to put it. Let's talk about that, you know, let's talk about, you know, um, just really balancing things out, making sure you're protecting your wealth. And then, like I said, my last chapter talks about giving because it's really important to give back. And, and in my research, I was super amazed at how um, how much how philanthropic um, black Americans are. So um, we do give. So we're, we're spending, but we're also giving as well. So I want to, you know, put that out there. But we can do this, guys. We can do it. And um, we can own our narratives. And it the change will happen because of us and because of what we want to do in helping each other as a, as a community. I love it. So we're the next generation of aunt, great aunties and grandmothers with the safety net, but also building wealth. And so thank you so much for joining me today. Excited about the book. Can't wait to grab a copy. Be sure you're connecting with Shihara all across social. Um, yeah. And and um, if you're like, I don't know, get on the phone and talk about it. like, I like to go Black Friday shopping. She didn't say you could, remember she said you can reward yourself. Yes. I you need to find some coupons or so. Or you can do right. that Cyber Monday. But I will tell you probably like November is probably before the holidays shopping starts really to take a look. You may have been doing better than you thought or maybe mm -hmm. not during the pandemic, but really take a whole ownership of it now because the sooner yes. you do it, the better you feel. So I, I do applaud you to do it now. Don't wait to 2022. Do it. Today. Absolutely. Let's start now. So yes, I agree, Eric. Um, Michelle, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Yeah, Michelle. <laughs> 
everybody have a great week and i will talk to you later bye